Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Mike, this week we have another very special guest. I can't We believe. do. I know, right? Uh, joining us this week, you can find him doing tons of deck techs, unboxings, and lists on the Jumbo Commander YouTube channel, uh, guest host of The Command Zone. It's DJ of Jumbo Commander. DJ, what's up, man? Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to come in here and talk magic cards. You know, I haven't been playing as much magic as I like, and so right. the way to scratch that itch is to just hang out with your friends and just geek out more about magic. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Alex, he called us friends. I'm so excited. It's already the right <laughs> we it's already met. the right energy. Best friends. It's happening. Yeah. You Absolutely. Know, we we had that moment in Nicaragua, so I felt yeah. like we should <laughs> DJ, I thought we, we were going to talk friends. about that. Oh, don't talk. That's right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> that's that's like three episodes. Very from now. That, that, uh, Got it. That's perfect. Um, so, I mean, we're having a good time. We are, you know, we're friends, and we're big on playing Commander. It's the game that we all enjoy. Um, I think the big reason for that for me, and I know for Alex, is the actual politics at the table mm-hmm. and the ability to talk with people as a multiplayer format and make deals, table talk, doing something more than just playing the cards that are in your hand. Uh, It's a fun way to progress the game. Uh, DJ, you've made your feelings on EDH politics pretty public, but why don't you tell us right now, what do you feel about politics at the table? So I think politics oftentimes gets a bad rap because uh, I think that we think of politicians that makes us feel bad inside. But In actuality, uh, politics at an EDH table is more about conversation and engaging the other people around you. And a multiplayer game is is nothing. It stinks if it just happens in silence. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why uh, Magic Online never really had a popping uh, EDH scene or commander scene because it is so difficult to engage your other players, to have the game move smoothly. And so... Table talk is something that makes the game better. Uh, and if you're talking about the game, you're politicking. That's a good That's a good broad definition. I think most people would restrain their definition of politics to, what did we say the other episode? We said wheeling and dealing, <laughs> which is making deals, taking gambits, that kind of stuff. And then threat assessment out loud. But just saying that any meta discussion about the game is politics is a very valid i think that's true i think that that's uh, a good way to look at it and it definitely opens up the the definition to to have a much more wholesome conversation about it because as you alluded to a lot of people feel uh quite strongly negatively about politics they feel that mm-hmm. it's all about manipulating people and taking advantage of them and being a bad person that's not true no not at all yeah I think that you could, I think that there could be an angle of politics where you're like, everything is, I'm working everything for my advantage. You know, I'm always, I'm always doing something uh, at the goals of winning the game, you know? And so if you're always leveraging every situation to win the game, then that might leave a bad taste in people's mouth. But if you're 
leveraging politics to to for the benefit of the game you know for the benefit of of finishing out the game for having fun as you're going along well your goals and the politics of the table might be aligned sure so for example if i were to um only be nice to you guys so that you would be nice to me and maybe not attack me for two damage that would technically be politicking right right I say like, ah, oh, your hair looks amazing today. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shucks, that DJ. He is just so, n- I'm not going to attack the person oh, who just Swing complimented my quaff. Like that, that might be the shady form of politics that we're talking about, mm. you know, but, you know, does the things that you say at the table, does what you play and what you point out and how you interact with everything affect the game? yeah it kind of does yeah the way that you're actually acting whether it's to progress a board state or to get towards a win or just the way that you act as a human being it reflects on everybody at the table as how they're going to interact and treat you outside of the game as well as in the game itself so i i like what you said especially about talking about the magic online to where not being able to engage in that political talk well that doesn't necessarily just mean, hey, if you don't swing at me, I can do this for you later. It also just reflects as, well, I'm not interacting with any of these people, so it's a little bit harder to get a base for the actual game and the reason that we like it. I totally, yeah. And I don't get me wrong, the horribleness of the program pay, plays an also a large role <laughs> in this, but it doesn't keep people away from other things. I crack out the program to play Cube on it, you know what I mean? And I love Cube. Why don't I crack out the program to play Commander on it? You know? And so uh, we are able to get past the program, even though that's a big hurdle. Uh, but also, it's just in Commander, we're missing so much. And online gives us a huge... You know, you can build the most amazing decks for like really, really inexpensive yeah. uh, on online. You would think that that price barrier to entry would mean that we'd be on there constantly. But it's not. Uh, And I honestly think that it's because the best part, the community, uh, is lacking there. Yeah, like you said, the amount of hurdles that it has to deal with, it's not not few. But that that is the biggest one as far as why I, you know, I attempted. I didn't give it nearly as much effort to try and make a real go of it as I would have if I had more of that community feel, if I had more of that. The reason that I play Commander is cool, singleton format. Okay, here's this card that's always kind of in my hand, even though it's not, so it's easier to build, all this fun stuff, Battle Cruiser. The reason that you play it is because of the actual group setting. And it's, that it like, you can't get that, you can't get that there, which is unfortunate. You hit on a very important point where you think about why you play Commander and not another format. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the fun, the battle cruiser magic aspect, the the commander, these interesting interactions. And so all of the things that draw us is not the most competitive side. It's the look at this cool thing that I'm doing side, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is very uh, fun-based. It's very multiplayer-based. It's very interacting with other people. And so you can have politics that are driven by that motivation. You can have politics that uh, that lets you explore the game better and doesn't necessarily get you to more wins. 
There are people out there that are using politics just to win more games. And that's fine. You can do that. That's another way of playing the game. But I think politics is much broader and it can just be a good way of enjoying the game more to progressing the game, to getting everyone playing on the same level. And I actually think that that's the best way to do it. Absolutely. You know, if we all play for the maximum number of wins, there are going to be people that are, uh, that stumble on lands and you should crush them. You know, you should crush Mm -hmm. them, get them out of the game Uh, or strip mine, lock them out. You know, there, you should (laughs) be doing other things, Uh, but this is commander. And so sometimes the political thing to do is to get them, you know, get them on your side, get them back in the game, uh, get an ally going, you know? Uh, and that's what I see a lot, not just in my own games, but whenever I'm playing, uh, people should be crushing the person that's struggling, but a lot of times they give them a break. They really do. And I think you're going to know, you notice this in your own games too, that someone that's struggling, that's not having a good time. A lot of times they don't get swung at, you know, they don't get, they don't get trampled over. Uh, Sometimes they come back and win the game. And I think that that's part of the multiplayer aspect of it. It's like, okay, you know, let's go after the big guy over there. That's played soul ring on turn one. They deserve to be attacked versus uh, someone else. So there's a lot of different levels to politics here. And it isn't always the leverage everything towards the, the most I win points. Yeah, absolutely. DJ, you're, you're making a lot of sense. And incidentally, we, uh, we've talked about this idea of all playing for the collective goal of having a good and enjoyable time in a, in a fun EDH game. And, uh, we just had a guest, Rachel Weeks, uh, you may know her from the command sphere. That's, uh, she had this concept called lasagna tier, which was this philosophy of EDH where everyone's working to create this collective positive experience for all of the players in the pod and that that goal is more important than winning. And, and I've really resonated with that. And I, I agree with that. I, I really do. I love lasagna. Uh, uh, I love <laughs> Rachel, even though uh, she, uh, she beat me pretty, pretty horribly the other day when we were mm-hmm. playing. Uh, but, um, but in general, I like that idea that we're all moving towards a good experience. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, one thing that for newer people out there, you might want to, if you're just starting out at EDH, to reframe what winning means to you. Absolutely. You know, if you are, if you're going out there and saying, I want to win games, and statistically, you're only going to win about a quarter of them. So most of the time you're feeling bad leaving a commander table. Uh, and then also you're, you might be new, so you might be winning even fewer games than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good way to feel bad and burn yourself out in an amazing game. I know that I do not win the majority of my games, but I enjoy the vast majority of commander games that I play. Uh, and so that's a good measurement and a good tool to being happy while you're playing something you love. It's redefining what winning means to you, redefining what success is, whether it's, you know, the lasagna or whether it's the my deck needs to do its thing. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's a good way to feel positive about the game. And I think that the right path to getting there is politics because it's a multiplayer game. Engaging with other people is awesome. And that's going to give you those feel goods when you're playing this game. Yeah, I don't I don't know I've ever heard anybody like bring a deck to the table and say, uh, this is my Gishath deck. It's 18 and five. You know, like they it, it's something where if somebody's <laughs> explaining what their deck does 
it's, oh, it likes to pop off with a bunch of tribal creatures, or I want to try and get as many lands by turn five as possible, or something along those lines. So the idea of this aspect of politics is strictly for trying to be more competitive at your right. I mean, you said it at the very top. It gets a bad rap because it's literally just trying to work together, literally using the social contract to cooperate with each other for the best experience. If that is competitive, well, fine. If it's knocking down whoever's the arch enemy because they, like you said, got their turn one soul ring or something along those lines, well, that's okay too. But if it's just... I mean, you, you could go ahead and compliment Alex on his hair so he doesn't attack you, but I've shaved my head, so I'm probably going to swing at you for that one because you've offended me. Oh, my, no. But that's oh, okay. No. That's okay. So getting into the actual tactics is a bad word for it. That makes it sound like it's you know more mean, like it's more implied strategic just to win the game. But things that you like to do at the table, like your favorite ways to be political and include everybody... Um, I actually want to start with you, Alex. So this kind of rolls into what we've been talking about, and I think it's a pretty good breaking point for us to talk to the rest of the episode. What do you like to do when you're talking about politics at the table? Absolutely, Mike. One aspect of politics that's very important but doesn't really get talked about is that politics is really a game of rapport. And rapport is something that isn't exclusive to the game of Commander. It's something that is involved in all interactions that we have with any other person. It's how much do you respect each other? Is there a power dynamic? Do you trust each other? Do you like each other? There's so many little things going on there. And I think that that can turn off people who are more socially awkward, as as many of us are. Sure. I mean, we come to this game to, to escape some of that nonsense. So what I'm proposing is not how to be a silver-tongued devil and and just talk your way into winning every deal and and negotiating every bargain, um, I have something a little bit in a different direction. Um, And that's to to tell stories, to be the storyteller. That's because stories are how people understand what's going on around them. It's how we Mm -hmm. relate to the world. Through table talk, through politics, you can tell the pod the story of the game that you're currently playing. And it's, I'm not talking about in like a framing device, like once upon a time, we all sat down and started playing Commander together. (laughs) I'm talking about the highs, the lows, the swells in in events that are occurring. What's your role in the game? Are you the hero of the story? Do you cast yourself as more of a villain or an underdog character? And this is something that is fantastic because not only do people like having their highest highs recognized, like, oh my gosh, Mike. That thing you did with Ruhan was so cool. I'm pointing that out, number one, because it was super cool. And number two... Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Number two, because that makes you feel good about your deck, and it makes you feel more involved and included in the group. I think it's very important. We talked about this in a previous episode. When someone does something cool, make sure everyone knows about it. That's part of telling the story of the of the game of Commander that you're doing. And when someone's being a heel and doing some spot removal, some destruction that you don't like, you can weave that into your tale as well. Like, oh my gosh, look what they just did. They just destroyed all of your stuff and you haven't even touched them yet. 
Like this is the kind of thing that allows you to, you say weave a narrative, but that almost sounds manipulative. It's almost like you're recontextualizing the situation to help everyone get an even better understanding of what's going on. And having that narrative, having someone describe the interesting things that are happening, having someone relate the experience of the game to the stories that you're going to tell your friends later. Well, you can tell those stories to your friends right now as it's happening. You can be Mm -hmm. the hype man for your own pod. And I think that that, even without having, oh, all the right words and, and just being so good at talking to people and getting them to do what you want, more than that, you're creating a, a much more open and, and honest sensation. And I think that that may appeal to people who look at politics and say, oh, well, that's all just about manipulating people. Yes, a little bit, but also it's about making sure that everyone's on the same page of this story, Mike. I like that. What do you think, DJ? I like that too. Um, And you give some good advice about recognizing when other people do something cool. Uh, That's a good way to build the the quality of your game to make it uh, mm-hmm. to make the the good parts of the game stick out because there's a lot of ups and downs like you said in a game of commander and so pointing it out and making sure that those highs go recognized is a really good way to make sure that people are enjoying it um i do have a question though you mentioned the the idea that we all you know might not be this amazing storyteller are there is there something can we distill this down to to something really simple uh, so that at everyone's next commander game, they can uh, do this one thing or these two things and sort of work their way up to this storyteller uh, goal that they're all going towards. Absolutely. You asking that is great because I just gave some very rambly advice. <laughs> but I think the best way to tell a story is to say out loud what you're feeling, to be the character when you see something cool, as you were just saying. Of course, you thought to yourself, that's cool. That's that's how you notice that it's cool. But not everybody else may have noticed that. And even if they did notice it, they may not, not have appreciated it. So you saying that was cool out loud is one of the first steps to being that storyteller. You are narrating the game by narrating your own feelings, your own internal monologue. When someone does something cool, let everyone know. When someone does something that's really mean and just destructive and rude and and all the stuff that you don't want to happen to your board, you can say, oh, well, I hate that. And this not only is part of telling that story, but it also opens up that dialogue at the table. Just like we were saying at the beginning, who wants a dead, quiet commander table? You always want to have some banter going on. And what better to talk about than the game that you're currently playing? See, I like what you said as far as like narrating what's going on. And that can be saying exactly what you're feeling at the moment. It can be just you also saying, wow, they're playing this. Mm -hmm. And literally just repeating what's actually happening at the table. And then being someone who's in the position of, okay, so if that's the, the next step of this story, what would be really cool to happen next? Would it be somebody else coming in with this, you know, oh, well, you've got that. Well, I have this and trying to top it. Would it Mm -hmm. be blowing that, you know, person's board out because they got too scary? Like, what's the cool next event? And I think that, you know, again, it's a game of stories and that's a really cool way of building on top of it. So I like that advice a lot, Alex. That's really good. Thank you. One sinister way of approaching this, by the way, is that I like your idea of saying how you feel. Very Mm -hmm. rarely 
are we going out there and saying like, oh, that made me feel bad um, or, you know, oh, this is how I feel about this situation. You know, uh, a lot of times it's a lot more concrete. It's what's on the board in front of us or what's on the board across from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, adding emotion definitely adds some storytelling to it. So I agree with you completely. Uh, but also adding emotion to it might make you politically uh, less attractive to do bad things to. Yeah. Uh, if 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 you are just like, ah, that was calculated. You have removed my creature. Uh, the emotional cost of removing that creature is is nothing, you know. But if you were like, my beloved Sarah Angel, I had plans <laughs> no, for you. Sarah. No, like that actually um, adds a level, a political level of uh, uh, to the game where people might not want to mess with your stuff. They might also be so invested in the story they want to see you succeed. Right. I like that. That's a really cool way of looking at that. DJ, what do you have for us this week? What do you, what do you like to do at the table politically? Well, my favorite thing to do politically is to give people things. Now, I know that that is Preaching. not a traditionally good way of winning a game, to give your opponents resources. Oh, buddy, you're, you're on the right podcast. You are in the perfect <laughs> place. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, to everyone out there, if, if a resource is never aimed at you, then it only benefits you. So if I were to give my opponent a creature, a 2-2 creature, and it and I could guarantee that it never attacked me, well, then that 2-2 creature did work for me because it's attacking my other opponents. It's kind of like, you know, the friend of my enemy is my, the enemy of my friend is my friend, whatever, one of those phrases. The enemy of my enemy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, because that bear, you know, can deal some damage, can trade away with another opponent's creatures. And so I can leverage other people to do my bidding by giving them things. And Mm. I like that. And by the way, it works out for both players. It's not like I'm manipulating you. Uh, I'm literally giving you something. And if you don't want to take my gift, that's fine. Someone else will. Mm -hmm. And if someone else will hopefully take that gift and be less likely to use it against me, but also just really leverage it against the rest of the table. Also, if I'm like giving you gifts, like even though we might make a deal, let's say, um, let me mention a card, Dawn Break Reclaimer. Four yeah. white white for a Hell five yeah. five flying angel. <laughs> Got some cheers for Dawn Bla- oh, Break Reclaimer. Oh, we know Dawn Break for- yeah. Very Absolutely. few people out there know Dawn Break Reclaimer. But anyways, four white white for a five five flying angel. At the beginning of your end step, choose a creature card in an opponent's graveyard. Then that player chooses a creature card in your graveyard. Then you, the owner of Dawn Break Reclaimer, have the choice to return those cards to the battlefield under their owner's control. So basically I choose something in your graveyard, you choose something in my graveyard. And then if I decide that's a good deal, they both come back to the graveyard from to the battlefield. Mm -hmm. So that is like a huge reanimation effect that you get at the end of every turn, Mm -hmm. but you need someone on your side. Right. So the thing that I love politically about this is that you have to talk about this. Like there needs to be some back and forth and some negotiation. It's like, well, I'm not, you pick that. I'm not going to pick anything in your graveyard. Let's see your graveyard. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Who's going to do this with me? You know? So you really get some back and forth, some wheeling and dealing, but in a good natured way, because you're working towards a goal of getting your big old creatures back on the battlefield. And then you get a creature back. Your opponent gets a creature back, but you know that that creature won't go at you. You know, it won't affect you. 
Because you uh, just got it back for them. Why would they exactly, spin it? They, exactly. They didn't have that without you. They did not have that without you. So not only do you, um, and you could make a deal, you could make it like ironclad, that thing never interacts I with I find it better all. to formalize arrangements like that. <laughs> oh, wow. Your playgroup. Should you be giving advice about playgroup? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> So, but also because you just made that deal with them, they're less likely to swords to plowshare your Dawnbreak Reclaimer or in fact do anything bad for you to you because you guys are buds now. Mm-hmm. And so this one silly little angel is still a 5-5 flyer, got you back a creature, got another creature that's only aimed at your opponents and you made a friend out of the deal. I mean, can you think of more value? The only way that it actually improves is, okay, if somebody else isn't a part of that deal and they don't like what's going on, so they path your Reclaimer, well, now not only did they target your creature, but the person that you were going to be friends with and help out, they targeted their creature without realizing it. Yeah. We could have all been on the same... They Did you see what he did to us? Oh, no. <laughs> I I love that. and that's a And that's a really good example of it, too. Yeah, and there's a lot of different cards out there. If you're thinking that this is the only card that simulates this, there's a ton of different ones. Uh, the you know we have we've been given a lot of very similar effects, like with the tempting offer. Um, mm-hmm. I like uh, I like Sylvan offering also. It's X and a green. Choose an opponent. You and that player each get X. Uh, an XX green tree folk token onto the battlefield. Uh, choose an opponent. You and that op- player each put X one one green elf creature tokens onto the battlefield. Mm-hmm. This gets a crazy amount of bodies onto the battlefield. Like this is game ending numbers of bodies onto the battlefield. Yeah, absolutely. and this is a way to stabilize against another player. And this is a way. This is a way to stabilize that you wouldn't have otherwise. Sometimes when you're going after the person that's clearly in the lead, you need effects like this. You need three for ones or four for ones, you know, for your team, you know, uh, against the, the arch enemy. Absolutely. I like what you uh, said, DJ, and this is something we've, we've also talked about before. And that's this idea of group hug value. It's so high, but it's not in the way that people would normally think of value. When people think of value, they'll think of, net value or expected value like okay if i draw myself a card that's one card for me if i draw the whole table a card that's minus cards for me like i came on negative but from our position and from your position that's drawing everyone a card is a card that drew the table four cards and that's four times the value (laughs) i I definitely agree with you with that, but one thing that I dislike about those those group hug everyone effects uh, is that I would prefer to hug one person because then you are going out of your way, singling out that person and being like, I am hugging you. Mm-hmm. You know, not him over there. He's bad. <laughs> We're friends. We're not not hugging her that. across the table. She is evil with that soul ring. <laughs> Um, So I like the idea of hugging an individual and giving one person that resource because it lets you choose them. And then it also lets you make sure that that resource gets directed against someone else. For sure. There's a time and place for for both of those different kinds of effects. All I heard that entire conversation was, you know, giving resources to player to a player is fun. And Feldegriff is still the best commander in the format. Just the best guest on our podcast right now. This is fantastic. (laughs) He's speaking our language. 
He really is. Uh, so I pre- we appreciate that, DJ. Uh, I feel bad now because you took a very, a very good aspect and you made it sound as comfortable and go team go as possible. And what I've got kind of sounds a little sinister now um, in retrospect. So I like getting credit from the table, from players for doing something that I was planning on doing anyway. Mm-hmm. So there are times where it's just a little aside and I, you know, maybe I've got my commander out and my commander likes to swing, but I don't have a really good attack right now. Or I've, I'm not in a situation where I can really do as much as I want to. I can't make my deck do the thing I want to do. So instead of saying I don't have a really good attack right now, sometimes what I like to do is I like to look at a player who's got their commander on the table, and normally they'd trade off if I attacked, and say, well, you just got your commander out, so I'm not going to attack you. So I guess I'll just pass. Oh, that's even more devious. I'm doing the thing I was going to do anyway, but I'm getting a little bit of, hey, I'm acknowledging the situation. This wouldn't help you, so I'm not going to do it. That's a fine line to walk, Mike. I like the first half of that. I like getting credit for things that you were going to do anyway, like, oh my gosh, we need somebody to really path that Ruhan, otherwise Mike's going to pop off. And I was already going to path it. I'll say, okay, I'll path it just to save the whole table, all right? And that's a little bit of extra. But you're saying to get credit for not doing the things that you already weren't going to do. And that can get a that can get a little bit fuzzy, right? You, you imagine the permission deck. It's sure. like, okay, that'll resolve. You start to hate them. But see, you're talking about bargaining. I'm not trying to gain anything out of it, except for just, well, hey, hopefully the next time that they're deciding whether or not they're going to do something mean to me, hopefully that pops up into their head. Even if they fully acknowledge that, oh, that could have been bad for both of us, but he didn't do it, well, okay. Or uh, me playing a veteran explorer, because I love that card, and me pointing out, man, you're, you're looking a little rough on lands. Hopefully this is able to help you out. So hopefully we can trade and get you some lands. If I'm planning on doing it anyway, mm-hmm. me just announcing it, narrating that it's happening. I have no problem at the same time. And this is, like you said, part of the fine line. If I say something like that and then somebody else calls me out and says, well, yeah, you were going to do that anyway. I'm okay with getting a little bit of a, well, yeah, probably. You know, I'm I'm okay with it. If I turn into the supervillain for this story... If it's something where it goes the wrong way, that's still fun. Like, I still enjoy that aspect of the game. So if it's something where you can get a little bit of, just a little bit of dap for doing something that you wanted to do anyway, point it out. See what you get. What do you think, DJ? So first off, I think that there are lots of different ways to play. And you could take this to the even extreme where you could even be misrepresenting what's in your hand or saying, pretending like you wanted to attack, but then not going. And that's still a fun way that people can play the game because there are villains, there are villains in games too. And sometimes you want to pull out a deck and be like the, the, the person that's going to like wheel and deal and do that kind of stuff. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to like talk down anyone that wants to do this kind of stuff. Okay. For sure. But also I like the idea of, engaging in the table, you know, talking about the table. And that's what you're talking about. You talk with the table. Mm -hmm. One thing that I like to do is, you know what you're going to do anyway. So let's use the, I'm going to path this 
creature, for example, you know that you're going to do it. And so you could announce like, all right, I'm doing this for the good of the table. Or you could say to the table, I'm going to let you guys make the decision. Like, should I path this card right there? You know? And here's the thing. Deep down, you know that they're going to choose that, you know, but you're Mm -hmm. actually giving them the authority to do it. Uh, My favorite card to do this with is actually uh, Kervek the Merciless. You guys Mm -hmm. know this card? Mm -hmm. Uh, For the audience members out there, Kervek the Merciless is five black red for a five, four legendary human shaman. And whenever an opponent plays a spell, uh, Kervek the Merciless deals uh, damage to any target, to target creature or player, uh, equal that spell's converted mana cost. My favorite way to play Kervek is to literally be like, oh, that's your spell? Okay, like, where do you want the damage to go? And odds are they will pick the thing that I want to do. Or right. it opens up the table to threat assessment where everyone's like, well, that's bad. No, what you have is bad, you know? And so, <laughs> and by the way, it's a given that I'm not going to target my own Kervec. Right. You know? And so they don't tell you to. Yeah. They're not going to tell you to car- target your own stuff. You're just right. like, no, at your face. The option you know? is already uh, sealed off. So, so what you can do is you can open up the conversation to other threat assessments and uh, let other people sort of see what, see where they would do stuff. And that kind of puts it in their minds about, well, where am I aiming this damage? What am I doing this stuff? Because if you're using that path to exile or that Karavik damage, odds are it's going at the right spot. Like odds are your threat assessment is the same as the people around you. And so giving them a little bit of control or a little bit of feedback, you know, or letting them in on the decision-making can make them feel like that's their path to exile, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you're on their side. Spread the responsibility. Right. The example that I have uh, that's a little bit better, and I was going to save it for later, but it makes more sense now. Uh, so I have a Vivictus Asmati, the Dire deck. And for that one, it's 6-6 six, six, Dragon, Flying, it's awesome. When it attacks, for each player, choose target permanent that player controls. Those players sacrifice those permanents. Each player who sacrificed a permanent this way reveals the top card of their library, then puts it onto the battlefield if it's a permanent card. So with that, I'm going to attack with this creature if there is absolutely a threat that we all that we can all safely say, no, that needs to be taken down a notch. Or... If, hey, if I attack with this, I'll let you choose what permanent you get rid of. We really have to take care of this. I was going to plan on doing it anyway, but I'm going to collaborate. I'm going to talk with everybody. And if somebody, if sometimes what has happened is I get extra information. Because I've had somebody tell me before, oh, if you don't attack with that, I'll handle it on my turn. Well, okay. I, I'm okay with that. I've gotten a little bit of information. And sometimes, you know, the Victus swings because it's a fun swingy deck and I like chaos warping every turn for everybody. But, you know, either way, it's one of those things just to try and keep people involved and hopefully gain a little bit of credit down the line, even if I'm not actually trying to make a deal or turn it into anything. I liked what's, uh, what you were saying about allowing someone to to make that call. I would liken that to... To firing a gun. Not everybody wants to own a gun, but a good chunk of people would like to fire a gun once just to see what <laughs> it's like, right? And so giving them that opportunity and say, hey, uh, you know, you can fire this gun at, uh, at whatever you like, any of those things over there. And they might take you up on that just to see what, what happens, just to wield that power, but not commit to having to deal with that power all the time, just to have the opportunity to uh, to step on something. 
Oh man, we're talking about politics and now we're getting into guns. I think that's actually a, a good point for us to take a break. We're going to come back with some advice for players, talk about some cards that are getting underplayed and need to get a little bit more shine. And then we're going to close with uh, a couple more examples on some decks that we like dealing with politics. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with something old, something new. Now, normally this is where I like to give advice to newer players, and we ask Alex to give some advice to some of our more veteran players. But whenever we have a guest, we, well, we have to take advantage of that. So, DJ, what is some advice that you have just kind of in general for Commander, for EDH, whether it's politics, whether it's deck building? What, what kind of shine do you want to give advice to this week? Yeah, so I have a lot of, a lot of advice to give. You could hear me rambling in the first part of this episode. Uh, <laughs> but actually, one of my pieces of advice uh, it is ties to my some of my choices for the next segment. Sure. And actually, I think that one way to be political uh, and to engage the table is to choose cards where you give your opponents some choice. Now, Usually we think of this as like uh, giving your opponent's choices bad. You know, remember those Punisher mechanics that they have, like a card like Browbeat. It's a two and a red, you know, you can have it deal you five damage or you get to draw some cards. Uh, usually that's like not a good effect because mm -hmm. if your opponent has a lot of life, they'll just take the damage, you know? And if they're at five, they'll let you draw three cards. So the card never really does what you want it to do in, when you're giving your opponents the choice. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, these cards are are weaker, but I think that in Commander, giving your opponent some choice can really open up table talk and can really uh, um, create a bond and create a much more fun experience. And one card that I've seen this happening to uh, from the most recent set is uh, Burning Rune Demon. It's a uh, four <laughs> black black for a six six uh, flying trample or no, not trample, flying demon berserker. And basically, it's when it enters the battlefield, you go searching for two cards, and your opponent gets to choose which card goes into your hand and which one goes into the graveyard. And so I was thinking about this card and thinking, is it, is it better than Runescarred Demon? You never get what you want, you know? Hmm. But, it's, but it's one mana cheaper. Maybe, that, maybe in a graveyard deck where, like, you, you want it in your graveyard, you know, Muldrotha deck or something like that. I was sure. trying to feel if this card sort of replaced Runescar Demon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think that even though it might not do exactly what you want it to, I think I like the card more because it, it has that hoop that you jump through of interacting with your opponent, of being a tutor that's not the same kind of tutor because usually tutors like people look down on them a little bit people are like oh it's kind of a tutor you know they they um they're like oh um you know you're going against the spirit of the game of it being singleton some people mm -hmm. but there are tutors out there that interact with your opponents and it becomes really fun i mean sure. this has me thinking of like remember scheming symmetry Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. The one mana uh, vampiric tutor, but your opponent gets to put something on the top of their library too, you know? And uh, remember uh, Wishclaw Talisman, the mm -hmm. artifact where you can tutor, but then it goes to an opponent and then they get to tutor and then you get it back again. Uh, so I think that sometimes when you're dealing with these effects that are kind of a little bit feel bad, you know, a little bit of like uh, maybe your playgroup isn't there, or the power level of your playgroup isn't there yet giving your letting your opponents in on it giving them some tutoring letting them have some choice uh ends up softening the blow and also makes it a little bit more fun 
Um, there's one other card that illustrates this idea, and that's uh, Arcane Denial. One of my yep. favorite um, counter spells. Uh, Arcane Denial is one in a blue for an instant counter target spell. Its controller may draw up to two cards. Don't know why you'd draw one or none, but okay. At the beginning of your <laughs> next upkeep. And then you draw a card at the beginning of the next upkeep, uh, next turn's upkeep too. So it's a counter spell. Um, and what happens is that usually this is a big feel bad moment for your opponent, but they actually get two cards out of it. Uh, so they end up being up a card. That's pretty good. And then actually you end up card neutral. So if you're talking about like the whole table, you know, you don't remain down a card from the other two players that aren't in this exchange because you've replaced your arcane denial with another card. Uh, your opponent actually ends up up a card, but you answered their big old threat that you don't like. So politically, you end up on side of sort of a same, you know, table as everyone else uh, with your opponent just up a card. So actually, in terms of just value, it's pretty good. But also, it kind of lessens that blow. It doesn't create that enemy. And so I think that that's one piece of advice that I can give you is to play with cards that don't make enemies and play with cards that uh, interact uh, with your opponents really well, that bring them into the game, that bring them into your deck, that bring them into uh, the, the table so that you're all interacting with one another. And I think that even though it might not have the highest you know, win rate, you know, because uh, Arcane Denial, I don't know if it's better than just plain old Counterspell. <laughs> you know, this uh, uh, Burning burning Rune Demon, it's certainly, I don't know if it's as good as Runescard Demon, and I'm sure that Wishcock Talisman is not as good as Demonic Tutor, you know. But sometimes it's good to play with those cards because this is a multiplayer format, and this is a game where interacting with other people makes it more fun. And you started with it at the very beginning. You said specifically... You have to define what winning is when you're sitting down. Like if it's just winning the actual game outright, well, you've got about a 25% chance of that happening, you know, give or take a couple percent, depending on what you're playing, et cetera. So I like that a lot. What do you think, Alex? I think that's great advice. Um, DJ, I have one more tutor card to, uh, to add to your list of feel good tutors. And uh, that's guided passage. Got a passage is great. And that was the next card. That was one of the cards <laughs> that was, it's not technically as underplayed as what you were talking about, but it's very close to that margin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go ahead and read Guided Passage. Yeah, uh, please. Because you took the wind out of my sails, so now I get to oh, read it out loud. Shit. I'm teasing. It just shows how classy you are. One red green for a sorcery. <laughs> reveal the card. Basically, you get to reveal your whole deck, which, by yeah. the way, is an amazing experience it's altogether. It's fun. Because you've put a lot of work into your mm-hmm. deck. You and get so to just show off. flipping it over and saying, go, look at this, ma- this masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> and they get to get they get to give you a land, uh, a creature, and a non-land non-creature. So this is a three-mana draw three. Uh, and you're getting your three worst cards. But how bad is that in Commander? How bad is your worst three cards? Oh, Not that bad. Yeah. And Did that's say- just... That's just if they're using all of their, there's no political wheeling and dealing at all. Right. You're not giving this to your friend, you know? You're That's not giving this scenario. to someone to find the the removal spell you need or the board wipe the table needs. This could be the tutor that everyone needs for several cards. Mm-hmm. Or it could just be a very efficient draw spell. Mm-hmm. 
100%. We've, we've talked about cards. that card. It's a yeah. great card. I'm really happy. That but you, the play <laughs> the play experience of it is so fun. That's oh, the yeah. that's actually what I'm getting at. And I think that's so close to why you're um why you mentioned it right now is because the way the card plays is fun. Everyone's going over there looking at your deck. They're like going through and pulling oh, out different them, cards give them that, and give saying them that one. Yeah, give him yeah, that yeah. one. Give him that one and say, oh, like, no, you, of no, course you want to give him that one. I'm giving the removal spell because your creature that's getting removed. Yeah. And it just becomes a fun experience. And so going, circling back to the other cards, if you take effects you want, you want tutoring, you want mm-hmm. counter spells, and you make them a little bit more fun, mm-hmm. you know, then I think that you can get that experience that you want out of Commander. Yeah, that's just phenomenal advice. Couldn't have put a better message. How, how to lose the least amount of power, but also lose the le- uh, the most amount of feels bad. I like right. that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, we brought up some pretty cool cards there. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that we're leading into it. Uh, we're going to our... Ooh, can I see that? Uh, now, this is a segment where we each bring up a card that is severely underplayed by EDH rec uh, deck list numbers. Um, typically, we're looking for, you know... Less than a thousand decks, something uh, something along those lines. So we're going to be talking about some cards that are really underplayed. Uh, so with that, if you want to grab any of these cards or literally anything that we've talked about whatsoever, uh, you can actually help us out in the process. So we've partnered with TCGPlayer.com. So if you're looking for any singles, sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything you want to spice your game experience with, uh, go to bit.ly slash EDH social or click the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra and you'll really help us out by buying all the things that you were going to anyway. So Alex, why don't you go ahead and start us off with a card our listeners may be interested in picking up? Yeah, you got it, Mike. My card is Centaur Omen Reader. Yeah. For three and a green, it's a 3-3 snow creature centaur shaman. And it has the ability, as long as Centaur Omen Reader is tapped, creature spells you cast cost two less to cast. And we just had, in Kaldheim, a set with a ton of snow. Yep. Everyone's going to be putting some various snow effects in their decks. Everyone's going to be picking up those snow basics for that little extra edge in their in their mana base. And... This is one that's uh, that's from Future Sight that may have fallen off the radar as far as snow for, for those who may be concerned. This is a discount effect, and we know that discount effects are like ramp but better because they can be applied multiple times in a turn, mm-hmm. which is great. And it's not trivial, right, to tap down Centaur Omen Reader, but it's not like you can't do it. The easiest way is to attack with it, right? <laughs> and you may be able to get that deal. Hey, I'm going to swing in for three. Um, you can jump block it. You can take it. Please don't kill it. But, you know, I just need to cast some creature spells and they won't be coming at you. That's something that can happen. But there are many decks that care about tapping and untapping permanence. Um, there was uh, Arkelos, the the turtle. Yep. That uh, controls whether permanents come into play tapped or untapped. And presumably is able to tap and untap permanents quite well. This is perfect for that deck. Um, as long as you have a way to tap this down, maybe with your Cryptolith right, maybe with attacking, maybe with Earth, uh, with uh, Earthcrafter or various other effects like that. But it, it's a nice discount and it's not for every deck. But as more decks start to incorporate snow... 
and uh, and as more decks start to deal with this kind of effect, I think that uh, that this is quite underplayed, and uh, and it's in according to EDH Rec, uh, two hundred and fifty nine decks out of two hundred thirty six thousand, which is of course zero uh, percent. What do you guys think about this one? I think that's awesome. I think that one thing that's really funny though is that like when I think of the Snow Commander right now, I think of uh, Jorn, God of Winter. Yep. But if you attack with Jorn, it untaps yeah, all it your snow work. permanents. <laughs> it untaps the Corsair again. But here's the thing: the backside of Jorn, the the Cauld Ring of the Rim Staff, Rhyme Staff, mm-hmm. that you can tap it, play this from the graveyard, and it enters the battlefield tapped. There you go. So you could like, you can swing in with this and if it happens to die, it dies, ends up in the graveyard, you bring it back again, it ends up tapped and then you cast something else. Perfect. Uh, This is, uh, here's the thing, snow is going to be at a hot commodity if you want to play with snow cards because it just has a ton of under synergies by just being snow creature. So I think that people might look at it and be like, you know, four mana, three, three. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to get a discount, you know, but when they um, when they take into consideration all of the thematic elements to it and all the right. other advantages that snow can bring, I I think that this is an amazing choice. Especially when you consider the fact that even with uh, Kaldheim and Snow Matters being uh, you know coming back into the fold, this card is still like sixty cents. Like it it didn't see like a huge uptick. It's still really. The so player says it's twenty eight cents. Well, there you go. Like I'm I'm all sorts of different places like it's 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 not an expensive card by any oh, yeah, means this is and dirt cheap. man uh if only green like you know could use the ability of reducing the cost of creature spells yeah why ah. would a green deck want to reduce the cost of playing creatures that doesn't make any sense at all so <laughs> speaking of green creatures man i feel bad this is we we, we have a we have a friendly guest he's been awesome and i have just been like the meanest that i've been uh, on a recording we've had so far, because the card I want to talk about this week is Dystopia. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, this is a one generic, two black enchantment with cumulative upkeep, pay one life. So at the beginning of your upkeep, put an age counter on this permanent, then sacrifice it unless you pay its upkeep cost for each age counter on it. It says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a white or green permanent. <laughs> That's the end of the card. Um, so here's the thing. I like this deck in a setting where people are dealing with a lot of indestructible. I like it in a setting where you're really trying to target one or two things. Or you're playing, you know, Orzov, Or you're playing Golgari. So you want to put some of your own permanents uh, into the graveyard. The reason that I picked this card specifically, though is because it can be political with the simple fact that it can be something you get rid of on your turn. With it being cumulative upkeep, it's not something that you can't ever get rid of. So seeing what's there on the board, having something where, at worst, it's an option for you to try and get some death triggers. It's an option for you to try and get something really problematic away from the actual board. But the fact that you can get rid of it on your upkeep, I'm a big fan of that. Um, at the same time, I totally recognize this is a pretty mean card, guys. <laughs> Mike, I'm so proud 
uh, that you've once again selected a stacks piece. I feel so as gross. your card choice. It's just lovely. Um, <sighs> now, ideally, you probably are playing this card in a deck that has green or white. But if you were to do that, and if you happen to have, say, eight and a half tails in your ninety nine, mm-hmm. which I'll go ahead and read is uh, two two for a double white legendary creature fox cleric with two activated abilities. The relevant one that we'll talk about is pay one and target spell or permanent becomes white until end of turn. See, it made me. I I felt I felt like just this deep cold sadness that i had picked this card (laughs) and now i feel a little bit better because i didn't think about that combo and when you said it out loud i just went no that's mean stop Mm -hmm. it uh so i feel a little bit better i still feel bad uh dj help me out here uh i can help you out because i have this card yes in in a deck nice i have a uh i have a progenitus uh, oh. I'm going to hate on colors <laughs> deck. Awesome. Okay. And so literally every card in it has like protection from something or mm. hates on a color in a specific way. You're uh, and so this is not a good deck, but man, if my cards line up against yours, if I draw, you know, the right part of my deck against your monocolor deck, I will destroy you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Ivan, I think I enjoyed this deck. Does it perform very well? No, I don't bring it out very often, but it is, it's pretty good. Um, it, so I have a, I have a card that I was going to talk about, but okay. now that you've brought up oh, no. sort of this, <laughs> this other stuff I have, cause here's the thing. Uh, what have I done? G- there was, there was guided passage and to go along with guided passages, manifold insights where you okay. some three mana card, draw spell, you reveal 10, your opponents choose it. Do you know what? Manifold Insights. It, it has more than a thousand uh, copies in decks. So very underplayed. But For sure. definitely not like the true underplayed <laughs> that you're talking about here. And it's so close to Guided Passage. Get out of here, Manifold Insights. You are not my choice today. <laughs> That's our bonus card this time. That's your bonus card. Uh, I was thinking about another card also at 0%. Okay. Uh, hall of gemstones but it's on the reserved list <laughs> yeah so so let's get let's let's not talk about that reserved list 30 dollars hey, dystopia is on world. the reserve list <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> let's not let's not talk about that let's talk about a card that messes with politics like crazy that that makes a table miserable and excited at the mm-hmm, same time mm-hmm. uh let's talk about the 43 cent card ice cave Yes! Ice Cave is three blue blue for an enchantment. Whenever a player plays a spell, (laughs) any other player may pay that spell's mana cost. If that player does, counter that spell. We featured that card. Mike featured that card, didn't you, Mike? I yeah. did. This makes me very happy. I've I've picked this card and I want to hear you talk about it. I picked this card I too. Love, okay. I love. I mean, it's, it's I, no, we want to hear it. Let's hear. It's no, a majestic no. card. So I'm I'm not surprised. DJ, I love this card so much, and and you've you've you made validated so, happy. so much yeah. of what I'm trying to do with this. No, that's so a great card. go for it, man. So basically, if you've ever had the desire to play Zer's Weirding, but you weren't a horrible person, <laughs> Ice Cave might be the card for you. That sounds like me. <laughs> Zer's weird. So, so number awesome. one is that if you 
have, you might have access to more colors of mana than your opponent does. And you might uh, be able to uh, utilize that a little bit better. So you have the chromatic lantern in your deck. You have that new land that taps, you know, for makes everything tap for everything. So you might have that color requirement that your opponent doesn't. So you can counter those spells a little bit better. You might actually have access to more mana than your opponents with mm -hmm. your seedborn muses and your other untap effects, even your jorns that are attacking and untapping all your snow lands. Uh, and then also, this kind of opens up uh, everyone to holding up those counter spells, which is basically kind of, uh, it brings the game to a little bit of a standstill where everyone is kind of being like, wait, you have, you have open mana? And they're like looking at their, they're just like looking at their hand and they're like, can you can you counter this spell right here? Or, <laughs> stuff like that. Okay. I don't the know, other, can I? The other thing that it does is <laughs> that it I? that it moves the table towards bigger and splashier plays. Because if I drop a nine drop, odds are you're not going to be able to counter it with Ice Cave, you know? But if I throw a soul ring down, everyone's going to be like, pay one, counter that yeah. soul <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so a lot of the more efficient, tightly um, tuned decks will just get swallowed up by slower, methodical, big mana decks. And that's the play style that I like punish those like really efficient uh, expensive you know uh curving out decks and just play some battle cruiser magic and this is also a catch-up mechanic where everyone can hold up mana can counter can answer that one other player um and so this is political it's fun it's a crazy interesting effect that we would never see ever again uh, that has all these weird restrictions on it, but the fact that it's in 204 decks out of over 200,000 decks, <laughs> 204 people are running it. And that's a, that means it's at 0%. Uh, I'm, I'm two of them. You're two of them, and I'm one of them too. See, the odds of you guys playing against this card is so low. We, we have a higher percentage of the amount of people that play this card in their deck than the amount of cards that exist in all decks yeah, for exactly. Ice Cave. Holy cow. Wow. Wow. Also, thematic with uh, Jorn, God of Winter. It's an Ice Cave. Yep. So there you go. Yep, yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, um, all right. Uh, tell me what you guys think. How, how yeah, close no, was my great. evaluation for, for where you guys were? Uh, I'm mean, thrilled. Perfect. I mean, li you literally picked a card that we love. So <laughs> I'm so happy. One more honorable mention. Just the moment that you said you have a progenitus hate all colors deck. Hmm. And now that you've mentioned a card that Mike has already mentioned, I feel that my, my conscience is clean. I can bring up <laughs> one more card that we've already talked about. If only to see if DJ might like to include it in his progenitus deck. Uh, or maybe he already has it in there. And that card is Drought. Drought. Oh. I do not have Drought in there. But drought let's is talk about it. Talk about it for a second. Two white white for an enchantment that says at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Drought unless you pay white white. Spells cost an additional sacrifice a swamp to cast for each black mana symbol in their mana costs. Activated it's abilities cost an additional sacrifice a swamp to activate for each black mana symbol in their activation costs. It's, it's so, it's so. Is that enough color it's hate really for great. you? It's DJ? so anti-black. Oh my gosh. It's so mean. It's truly devious. 
the reason why I have dystopia and not and not some of these other effects, because there's a lot of really mm-hmm. messed up ones, mm-hmm. is that I I do like to kind of hit two colors uh, mm-hmm. rather than okay. just one. So aiming actually, that's not true. I have um <laughs> Hold on, looking at the deck. <laughs> I have carpet Hang of flowers on. in here just going after islands. Sure. So, carpet uh, of flowers, great. So maybe spell. maybe I'm not. But but yes, this is so punishing. So punishing mm-hmm. for the black players. They just can't they just can't do anything. It's majestic you're done <laughs> you need a very particular play group to play decks like these and certain cards like yeah, these, even i don't play that one <laughs> it's, it's majestic thank you i remember when the social contract was a group hug and, and having fun it is it's <laughs> it's a symmetric effects podcast i'm and sometimes listen, symmetric effects involve dystopia and drought i'm fully aware that i that the of the people that were going to make this this heel turn, I initiated it. I don't feel comfortable, but that's okay. Because, like we said, these cards are weird. They're awesome. I'm really happy that Ice Cave is something that you're running. In that's for fantastic. For a pound, like. Oh, man. So, if you want to talk about... Or if you want to look into getting any of those cards, first of all, really think about it and make sure that your group is going to yeah, be Yeah, you need okay to be careful with, with some of these cards. Um... <laughs> But then, yeah, if you want to pick them up, again, go to bit.ly slash EDH social, pick them up. You'll be helping us out. You'll be improving your deck or at the very least making it slightly more interesting. And that's always the point, right? So Absolutely. closing topic here. Uh, anytime that we have a guest, I want to ask them basically just kind of what they're doing, you know, uh, especially with the year that was 2020 and even going into this year, there's not a whole lot of well, there's no, like, going in and trying to see what your local game shop is doing as far as mm-hmm. playing and things along those lines. So are we brewing? Are we uh, buying? Are we just kind of tinkering? So what are you working on? What are you working with? DJ, what is your political deck de shore, uh that you're working on right now? Unfortunately, I haven't been working on political decks. And one of the That's reasons okay. why is because um, political decks are really hard to play on spell table. They sure are. And yeah, that is kidding. a big downside. Uh, and so my my political decks have gone unplayed for about a, about a year now. Uh, and so that does make me a little bit sad. It doesn't mean that I have stopped brewing. Uh, my most current brew uh, was kind of inspired by Kaldheim a little bit. Uh, okay. I've always wanted... Um, I've always wanted to have a pod deck, you know, pod, uh, hey, birthing pod is a card where you can sacrifice a creature and go tutor for one. That's mm-hmm. one bigger in your deck. And so, uh, there've been decks across history that play pod and it's this value engine and it's something that's really fun. Um, sure. they gave us in Kaldheim a second copy of pod in mm-hmm. pyre of heroes. Mm-hmm. There's just one little hoop you have to jump through in that it has to share a creature type. So if you are doing some sort of creature-based uh, or um, tribal-based pod, right. then you suddenly have more copies. And uh, they also gave us Fiend Artisan in Ikoria. So now we have more copies of pod <laughs> than ever before. Uh, and then also they gave us this card, uh, Realm Walker which is uh, another sort of effect that is very difficult to get. You can play cards uh, that share a creature type, so tribal cards, off the top of your library. Um, so if I'm making a pod deck, let's see. Let's see if you guys can guess what tribe I did. It's not a, it's not a unique tribe. Um, what tr- pod deck do you think I, I'm putting together? 
What mm. do you think, Alex? You already know two of the colors. I was going to say elemental, just because I, that's, I don't know. I, I think that's just the what one about, stuck in uh, my head right what now. What about horses? <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys are way classier than me. I picked a very boring tribe, and I picked uh, tribal goblins, because I didn't have a goblin what? deck. That's not, not classy. That's awesome. <laughs> it's 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 very you know. Look, we were just talking about zero percent, two hundred and four decks on EDH rack, <laughs> and now we go up here to all the tribes and goblins is uh, one, two, three, fourth, fourth most common. But, but goblin pod. <laughs> but goblin pod is so fun. It's podlin. You guys can't podlin. I love that. You guys have no idea how majestic it is to pod into a siege gang commander and then into Muxus. And then like you have so many goblins on the battlefield. It is, it has been so much fun to play. Uh, and with some of the sacrifice outlets uh, that are, that are came out of modern horizons, it's become this goblin tribal pod aristocrats pod gob pod crats it's been a very fun deck to build that's so interesting that's uh did you talk about that there is one more that maybe it was just so far back that you didn't uh recall it but that's that's vanifar prime speaker vanifar unfortunately with the blue i couldn't make the blue work (laughs) yeah i couldn't make it and i have a vanifar deck it's a group hug vanifar deck and i love that deck very much that's a good one you know vanifar got a bad rap by being so powerful like Mm -hmm. really like inherently powerful that it didn't get a lot of decks built uh by it you know there was there is it didn't really rack up the numbers as some of the other things and so i like the idea of you're like oh i got this super powerful commander to give you value Pretty and much. Alex, your, your restrictions on that Vanifar deck were just like, no, it's just creatures. Oh, they're very harsh. It, I only yeah. have creatures and lands. There's no spells. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and I understand and I even complained about this in a previous episode where there's a certain amount of eyebrows raised when somebody sits down with a certain kind of commander and says, mm-hmm. oh, don't worry. It's not that kind of commander. It's okay. I've seen the Vanifar deck. It's it actually it is. It is the nicest Vanifar you'll ever <laughs> It's meet. pretty cool. It's pretty chill. Very cool. And then the other thing that I've been working on, which is completely silly to be doing uh, when I'm not playing or having friends over, is uh, I'm recreating the Build the Dream Cube. So I am buying cards for okay for that. So I'm so I have a I'm also a big cube fan as well, and so I have several mm. of them. And so I've been putting together the live the, the Dream Cube because it feels like if Commander was a cube, it would be that one. And so <laughs> I've been putting that one together too, and that makes me happy. Very nice. That's very cool. Alex, what about you? With with you, you you've t- we talked about the Mana Burn Commander uh, from Commander Legends. Are are is there anything that you're looking into uh, building other than it in Bell Bay? What's going on with you, buddy? Well, I mean, I got to tell you, Mike, and and I pretty much will usually have this answer is that I move very slowly when it comes <laughs> to creating new decks, and that may just be because I'm constantly pruning and and preening and improving all of my other decks slowly. Sure. Uh, but yes, Bell Bay is my most recent deck, and that was my first deck in a long time. And I built her as, uh, as what do you call it, Group Hug Group Slug, where yep. we're causing life loss and instant speed to donate mana at instant speed. And I just love that so much. Um, I did make some New Year's resolutions. I do have those decks that I'd like to make, and a couple of those ideas were just uh, a 99 lands deck, which is becoming more popular these days, but at the time it was relatively unique idea and uh and also a a mono white just meanie meanie mean boy deck 
Um, <laughs> but honestly, probably not going to make either of those decks until I see a commander that jumps out at me and really speaks to me like Belbe did. Um, and that just doesn't come along very often. I'm very picky. That's reasonable. One thing that's uh, disappointing, I've looked at those really heavy land count decks, mm-hmm. is that for such a, a niche sort of fun deck, it's mm-hmm. so much money to put, oh, get yeah. all of those just the best, most interesting lands and put them all together and like have them all do something. It just ends up being like a really expensive deck. And you're like, oh, man, like, am I taking am I taking lands out of this commander deck over here? Like to to devote to this goofy strategy a solution to that. Just yeah. Don't buy what you can't afford. And uh, Sharpies are your friend. Proxies are your biggest friend. <laughs> Don't buy what you can't afford. And yeah. when you are buying what you can afford, use bit.ly slash EDH. Uh, sorry, I couldn't help it. Nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I I mean, we've talked about this. I'm, I'm, you'll be proud of me. I've whittled down a couple of decks. I have deconstructed a couple. Really? I have. I'm, I'm only, I'm at 17 now instead of a, 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 a like a 20 and a half. Yeah, for reference, uh, I have seven decks. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. Um, so I, I feel kind of the same way that you do DJ. I've got a political deck, which was my, uh, I call it, I affectionately call it, uh, Rita Repulsa and the White Ranger because it's Jessica and Arden. You and Rita Repulsa. I, the card is literally a lady with horns as the helmet standing up, looking menacing and her zero ability is make a monster grow when it hits somebody well now like, you have to get that altered you know you have to well i'm fine with that i, I man i'm gonna have to talk to i'm gonna have to talk to mabel at a uh, fox off art about that and see what we can do um but the problem is is that that's not a deck where i i don't want to swing out with that deck i don't want to be the actual attacking player that's the one where i want to give a whole bunch of equipments and a whole bunch of auras to somebody else and incentivize them to attack somebody else. Like you said earlier, get them to do my dirty work for me. That's kind of <laughs> what I'm aiming for. And man, that is, that is not something that you can pull off on spell table so easily. Cause it's one thing for me to have proxies for the cards that I'm planning on copying and moving around. It is another thing entirely for me to say, hey, I'm going to give you a sword of feast and famine and a sword of the animist and all, oh, you're going to get a assault suit and you're gonna, all of this stuff is going to go on to your creature. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little rough, but man, I can't wait to have an opportunity to play that in a more regular basis. So it sounds like it sounds like all we have to do is uh Stop the pandemic and yep. um, have enough money to buy as many magic cards as we want. Easy. Okay. Okay. Uh, Are you on that? All right. So you'll stop the pandemic and I'll go buy all the magic cards. <laughs> no. Wait, does that mean I have to make the money for it? <laughs> yeah. All right. So Mike, you'll find me the money to buy all those magic cards. And DJ, you get to work on stopping this pandemic thing. I don't know how I ended up with this side of the deal, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what they say? Usually the one who suggests the plan is the one that ends up with the worst part of the plan. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, everybody, join us next week, and we'll tell you if we've got any progress on making all of the money and stopping the pandemic. Yeah, DJ, um, we're going to hold you to that task there. Yeah, give us a little bit of time on that, everybody. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening, everyone. DJ, thank you so much for joining thank us you, today. Uh, where can so people find you? 
Uh, you can find me all over the place. Uh, yes, so, we can. <laughs> yeah, if you find me, you can follow me on Twitter at Jumbo Commander. Sometimes I post things when I'm feeling... <laughs> No, I don't usually, I don't love social media, but, sure. um, but you guys are awesome. Like people that, people that listen and interact and stuff like that. So, um, so every so often I like to put something on there, but I put out videos all the time. So you can look those up on YouTube. Um, just search jumbo commander. You can find my YouTube channel. Uh, the most recent video I opened up, um, boxes of Caldheim collectors boosters, yep. uh, and see what happened there. Did I lose a bunch of money? Probably. Um, <laughs> I also do a bunch of deck techs. Uh, and so, uh, the, my most recent deck tech is kind of a political one. Disrupt a quorum on a commander. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Gotta, gotta do that. So, uh, definitely, uh, have some good stuff there. So check me out. on. I want to give a shout out to my favorite deck tech that DJ did. And that's the $19,000 Commander Deck Tech. I have another version of that. Really? In the works because everything's more expensive now. <laughs> yes, so, it is. <laughs> I don't know if See. you guys know this, but we play an expensive hobby. We sure um, do. So I'm thinking about, so the reason why I could have, I could do that is that I had a, a fan that was selling their collection. And so, you know, we were like, all right, before I ship this, you know, collection overseas, let's, let's play with it a little bit. Um, so now I need some access to some truly expensive cards and then I'll be able to put together an obscenely expensive commander deck soon ish. Maybe. Go. I don't know. Well, see, we eagerly await that. See that everybody. That's called a teaser that we weren't planning on, but it worked out anyway. All uh, right. <laughs> Alex, where can we find you? Sure, Mike. You can find me on Twitter at LapperMedic, L-A-P-P-E-R Medic, or you can email me directly at uh, alex at edhrec.com. Guys, if you have any questions or comments for us, follow us on Twitter at edh underscore social or email us at thesocialcontractedh at gmail.com. DJ, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll talk to you all soon.